Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Launching our children into adulthood is not just an event. It's a series of events and tasks and things that we have to pay attention to and still monitor and work with for a lot of years. And my guest today actually opens this up a little bit more and gives us some very good guidance on how we can help prepare our children for adulthood and help them succeed in the world once they've left our home. And I love this topic so much. And it's probably because it's the stage of life that I'm in right now with my wife. We have launched two of the four children that we have in our family, and one of them is about to launch and head off to college here in the fall. And so we're just in the middle of all this right now, and we're thinking and talking about this stuff all the time. I love the information and the research and the support that my guest is going to share today. It's just so cool. And it's very validating and very supportive for those of us who are in the trenches working with our young adults. But if you've got younger children, it will give you a lot to look forward to and a lot to be prepared for and to not really fear as much, maybe some of the things that you might worry about. You'll be able to feel more prepared and more clear about what your children need. And if you've launched your kids and you're just wondering, well, what does this have to do with me now? Well, you're still probably a grandparent and have a lot of influence with young people. And so this information is just really helpful and it can help you be a source of support, a consultant, and just a resource for other parents who might be going through this stage and might be feeling crazy or uncertain. I wanted to bring this guest on today because, you know, we talk about from crisis to connection and, and launching children can feel like a crisis. It, it can be one of those developmental stages or one of those crossroads, if you will, that can be really challenging for families. And so sometimes kids leave our home and it may not be in the way that we had anticipated. It might be more disruptive or it might feel like they leave and it's just kind of strange. And we just wonder, like, did we do it right? So there's a lot of emotion that comes up around this stage of life. And so I want to hopefully put some of those fears to rest as you get some more guidance and direction on this topic from our guest today. And like I said, I invited my wife to actually be on the podcast with me today. And we'll definitely be hearing more from her in future podcasts. But I just loved having her on as a, as a co-host to interview this guest. And I think you'll find her contributions to be pretty insightful. And uh, so let me just jump right in. The, the guest today is Dr. Mark McConville, and he's a clinical psychologist in private practice in Beechwood, Ohio, and he specializes in adult, adolescent, emerging adult, and family psychology. And he's also the, on senior faculty at uh, the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland and has taught and published widely on the subjects of child development, parenting, and counseling methodology. He's the author of several books, 
And his most recent book is called Failure to Launch, Why Your 20-something Hasn't Grown Up and What to Do About It. And so in today's episode, we're going to talk about those 20-somethings and ways that we can make sure that they are prepared to enter the world. And I'm just so excited to share this interview with all of you. So let me jump right in to our interview with Dr. Mark McConville. Well, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for making time for us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Jeff and Jody. This is a great topic. Oh, man. Yeah. Preparing our teens for adulthood. I mean, Jody and I have launched two mm-hmm. of our three sons, and, and then we have a daughter, and this is on our mind all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because launched is in quotes. It's not really <laughs> official. They're in their early 20s, and <laughs> we're still uh-huh. figuring things out. Yeah. It's, it's a process that what research is showing us, it takes about 10 years to transform from an adolescent into someone who can, for the most part, take themselves seriously as an adult and enter adult roles and, and commitments. But um, the very first part of it is the launching, you know, getting, mm-hmm. getting out from under mom and dad's roof and yeah. getting your legs under you and, and just beginning that process. Yeah, that's so different than, I, I don't know. I mean, my parents didn't just kick me out on the curb at 18 and said, you're on your own, don't call us, you know. But, but I think in the, it seems like sort of in the, the national sort of collective, I think a lot of people assume there's this magic number at 18 when all of a sudden you're supposed to be an adult and be on your own and figure things out and feel like an adult. And I mean, that was not my experience, Mm-mm. but I'm, I'm also hearing you say, I mean, if it takes 10 years, we've got 28-year-olds who don't feel like adults. That is that is uh, true for sure. But as as you're uh, indicating, there's been a kind of a historical change. When I look back at my own life, certainly at 18 or 21, I did not feel like an adult, but the culture expected me to. And so I accepted that. And when I started my career as a clinical psychologist working with teenagers, we had this belief that was actually it was very solid. It was that if we could get our clients to age 18, they would be okay. Because at 18, they became citizens of the world. They, they weren't under their parents' thumb. And it, it really bore out. There was a lot of validity to that objective. Well, today, that's absurd because <laughs> a lot, you know, most 18-year-olds are still living under their parents' protection, financial support, and often under their roof. Mm-hmm. So. A different world. Well, I think you made an interesting comment there that, that when you were that age, you didn't feel like an adult. And as I've been reflecting back on my own experience, I certainly didn't either. But none of us cared how we felt. I mean, we, we did, but the world wasn't paying any attention to that around us. Yeah, it wasn't about how we felt. Yeah. It was yeah. about what was expected of us. And so we just kept taking the next step and the next step. And then somewhere yeah. in the next... 15 years, we started going, oh, hey, wait a minute. I have feelings about what's going on. (laughs) And so we raised our kids with that in mind. Yeah. And they're heading out into the world going, this doesn't feel right because it doesn't. (laughs) That's very well put. We had feelings, but the the world didn't tell us they were relevant. And, and, you know, there has been a, a kind of a revolution in parenting over probably the last 40 years, it started with parent effectiveness training, listen to your kids, validate what they feel, try to put their feelings into words for them. So we've really developed this parenting agenda that, and we we are in fact raising, we are producing young adults who are have much more emotional literacy. They yeah. are yes. more insightful, more self-aware, 
I think they're probably by and large more empathetic. Um, but then the, the flip side of that is when they are anxious, they are much more aware of it, much more likely to sort of put that out, mm-hmm. uh, look, look for help and support, that sort of thing. Oh, I love that. That matches our experience mm-hmm. with our kids as well. Because there are sometimes you just want to say, tough it out and don't care about anything and just go be an adult. You know, you just want to like, you know, sort of shut all that down because it's so messy. And even though we both are pretty comfortable dealing with emotions, sometimes you just wonder what's the balance between just duty and doing and just action and moving forward in life versus being so self-aware that you're paralyzed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There are times that being able to reflect and know what you're feeling is extremely valuable. And there are other times that it gets in the way because you've got a task. You've got a job to do, something to attend to. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it's, it's more about repertoire that, that you can go in both directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I love knowing that th- that the kids have about 10-ish years to kind of really sort through the meat of that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, the leading researcher on this p- period of life, which is referred to as emerging adulthood, ages 18 to 30, is a, a fellow named Jeffrey Arnett. And Jeffrey Arnett has given questionnaires to literally tens of thousands of 20-somethings in many countries around the world. And one of the questions he asks is, I feel like an adult. And then he gives a a five-point scale, hardly at all, a little bit of the time, about half of the time, a fair amount of the time, most of the time. And, And from that research comes my favorite statistic in all of behavioral science. It's not until 26 and a half years old that half of the people feel like an adult half of the time. (laughs) That's layered. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? And so validating. Around 28 that that the majority will say, well, I feel like an adult most of the time. Mm. Wow. That's and, and I wouldn't want anyone to feel like an adult all the time. I can't imagine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when we had our first son, I was 25. We were, mm-hmm. we were, we're the same age. She's five days older than me, but we're, we're the same age. We were 25 years old. We had our first son. I remember driving home from the hospital saying, they're just going to let us take him home. Yeah. I didn't feel like an adult. Uh, yeah, underprepared for <laughs> was, adult responsibility. Yeah, I thought this is yeah. this is so big. Like a parent should take this baby home. You know that that is so. I love that. That is so. <laughs> that is so true. I had my first kid at twenty three, and I had to. I'd never quite put it into words the way you just did. <laughs> That's exactly what it felt like. What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Don't they know that I'm really not capable? <laughs> Yeah, and yet that's how it's always been, and it's worked somehow in uh-huh. in more cases yeah. than not. Thankfully, yeah, that's so interesting. And so, where where did this where did this number come from? Eighteen, like why? Like, and maybe I don't know if it matters, but I'm just so curious. Why did why are we so hung up on this? Like believing that somehow kids should have it figured out at that age. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I I don't know. I'm sure that a historian could answer that better than I could. But I I read one of the most fascinating historical factoids not too long ago, that when the U.S. Constitution was being written, I believe Thomas Jefferson advocated for the Constitution being revisited once every generation. Revisited, retooled, is it up to date? And what they defined as a new generation was every 19 years. And I thought, wow, you know, probably in the late 1700s, that was about the time 
that you were settling in with a, a family and a maybe an apprenticeship or, you know, you were probably uh, taking on, uh, I remember reading that Ulysses S. Grant had a very lucrative and viable business trading horses when he was age 10. <laughs> oh, so, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I'm not sure how they arrived at that, that we installed it as a, a legal, you know, this yeah. is when you can draft it, um, voting and so on. Yeah. But I, I love that permission to mm-hmm. to say, you know, subjectively, you're not going to feel like one, even though you're doing adult things like bringing babies home from hospitals and, and serving in the military and so many other things that we, you know, we really put on, on these, these young people, but, and that all of us had to do, but, but that there's room to grow into that and to not be too hard on yourself and each other as we're, as we're trying to, I don't know, just grow into our own awareness and responsibility and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I yeah, think but what- you, you touch on something very important right there, which is so many of the young people that I see in my therapy practice will be 18, 19, 20 years old, and they don't know quite where they're headed, but they believe they should. And it could be something mm-hmm. as simple as, yeah. I have to declare a major. I'm in college, I have to declare a major, but I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that somehow feels like I'm deeply flawed and I'm kind of behind the pack because I should know that by now. Well, of course, you may think you know what you're going to do for the rest of your life at age 19 or 20, but you don't. Right. right? So that that being able to be accepting of it. And so much of the work I do as a therapist is really about mitigating shame. Like, no, you're not behind the pack. Your peers are not as confident as they make out to be. Their Facebook page is not the way their life is actually evolving. Mm -hmm. You're confused because 19-year-olds are confused about where they're headed. And you got about 10 years to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I imagine some of that pressure also comes from parents. Because one of the most common things that I hear from my own peers is, oh my gosh, I had no idea adult children would be so hard. Because the way that we were raised and what what the world's expectations of were uh, from us and what ours were from the world were such that we were much more independent. Yeah. And so- You're so right. You're you're so right. That actually is the impetus for me writing this book, Failure to Launch, was the fact that I was, and this started somewhere around the turn of the century. I'm getting more and more of these you know, academic probation, college students, the school has asked them to take a year off, that sort of thing. And the parents are left like, so I'm not done. I thought I'd be done, yeah. but I'm not. And what? what's my toolbox? I mean, you're going to ground your 20-year-old? <laughs> right. You're going to send him to his room? You, you know, I mean, what What do you do? So the, the dilemma for parents was, I'm so close to this situation, this child that I love desperately, and I can see them struggling, but I don't know how to exert influence. I don't know how to, mm-hmm. because often the more I try, the more they they get bristly and they push back and say, I don't need you to tell me what to do. But, mm-hmm. but uh, it's still parenting, just it doesn't end at 18 <laughs> by any means. No, no, no it's much more nuanced now than I remember yeah. it being at my age. And in your in your book, I mean, and, and this is where we when we we discovered you, you, you were talking about these tasks that teens 
and really it's not only these teens, but in, in this period of this 10 years, there's this room, there's, there's some very specific tasks that really have to happen to sort of really settle into adulthood and thrive in your relationships and your career interpersonally and intrapersonally in terms of just managing your own emotions and other things like that. I'd love to you to introduce those to our audience and let's, let's talk about them. Sure. Well, there's a, a longstanding concept in developmental psychology, academic developmental psychology called developmental tasks. And so they'll look at children of, of a particular age and say, what does this child need to master in order to kind of move on? So if we're, we're talking about toddlers, for example, they have to master bowel control. And if you don't master bowel control, you're not going to be accepted into the preschool, mm-hmm. right? And so, and then when you get in preschool, you have to master sort of rudimentary socialization. You have to be able to get along with other children in a manner of speaking, or else the kindergarten isn't going to accept you. So there's always something that is just a developmental stage is presenting a curriculum. So I started to try to think that way about the... 20-somethings that I was seeing in therapy, saying, what, what is it that they are working on? And I really, I derived this concept of their developmental tasks from looking at what were the themes that were common and recurrent in therapy, in therapeutic conversation. So there were three that I, I said, these are central enough that they, I think they really are part of the curriculum. So the first one is, is accepting administrative responsibility for your life. You know, when you are a high school senior, so much of of what makes your life tick has been managed by adults. You know, your mom tells you when you have a doctor's appointment, right? You know, the school tells you when you have to go meet with the college guidance counselor. I mean, everything, the adults are doing all the programming. Your dad takes the, you're driving the beater car, but your dad takes it in to get the oil changed or, or to get, you know, the the exhaust checked, you know, Mm. if the state requires that. So there are all these little kind of insignificant, but practical administrative details. And what I began to notice, I just found this fascinating, was how kids between, say, 18 and 25 is really the, the age range I'm looking at, how often these kids were almost phobic about those things. Just avoidant. I had, um, a young guy, I'd seen him as a high school student. He called me uh, two summers ago and wanted to come in. And he wanted to come in because he said he and his, his mom was all over his case and it wasn't right because he's now a college student. And so he comes into the office and he begins to just complain about his mom. And it turned out his mom had driven him to the appointment because they had get the car serviced or something. I said, can we invite your mom in? So I talked him into it. Mom comes into the office. And the two of them just go at it. And what they're arguing about is the fact that he has he has a summer job and his work schedule conflicts with a dentist appointment that is coming up in the next week or so. And the mom is saying, call the dentist's office and reschedule. And he just won't do it. And oh. he's he's just irrational in his resistance to this. And I I finally said to him, I stopped and I said, what do you think happens when a person calls a dentist's office to reschedule an appointment. I said this to the 19-year-old. He looked at me and said, they probably get pretty pissed. (laughs) And anyone, anyone, you know, dentists of all healthcare providers have more (laughs) no-shows than any other profession. And so when you call their office 
they want to buy you roses. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, to, I said to the mom, would you be willing to call the dentist's office on your phone and put it on speaker? And so she did. She called and said, you know, he he's got a work conflict. Oh, thank you so much for calling Mrs. Jones. This is oh, next week is fine, you know. And so she gets off the phone and I just turned to him and I gave him one of these sort of thoughtful looks. I said, hmm. And he goes, he goes, oh. <laughs> but that in a nutshell is what happens to so many kids in between 18 and 25. They really don't know how the world works. And yet they're kind of, they're asked to address or engage the adult world in some way. And they become anxious and they are afraid of embarrassment. I'm going to do something stupid. It's what I often refer to it with myself as my synagogue experience. Now, I'm not Jewish. Whenever I go into a synagogue for some kind of ceremony or a bar mitzvah or something, I have this haunting feeling that I'm going to do something terribly wrong. Because I know there must be rules, but I don't know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, my anxiety level probably goes up significantly. But that's for how it is for these kids just in the world in general. Like there are rules, but I don't quite know what they are. So that's one task mm-hmm. is beginning to take on these things. And when they may seem insignificant, but if you've got a 20 or 21 year old that's willing to call and make his own appointment, it actually takes on maybe a bill. He, he's a, you know, paying his cell phone bill or opens up a, a bank account and manages that confidently. Those, they seem like small accomplishments, but they reflect a much deeper sense of, I can do adult things. Mm-hmm. I can begin to take myself seriously as an adult in the adult world. I can navigate the adult world. So it's really, really I critical. So the second task that stood out to me again in therapy work was how relationships when you're in your early 20s they really have to they have a different set of ground rules or they need to have a different set of ground rules you don't just need your posse from high school and you can't just count on your english teacher is going to send an email to your mom because you've got a d and they think maybe they ought to hook you up with a writing tutor you know where that just sort of happens but now you're off in college or you've got a job and you have to identify those things yourself. You've got to figure out, wait, what do, I, what do I need help in? What do I not know how to do? And who does know how to do it? So going off to college, for example, and tapping into upperclassmen who just understand the college experience, you know, they're, they, they have more um, experience. And, and so you, you look for mentoring, right, from older students, from professors, sometimes from um, aunt and uncles. And if mom and dad are really lucky, they'll eventually turn to you and think, well, maybe you know something that would help me (laughs) navigate the adult world. But it's a different, it's realizing I can't do this alone. This is not the Wild West where I have to be super independent. I really need to figure out how to lean on other people and how to have, you know, like going off to college and forming friendships among peers who are themselves responsible students because they will be a good influence back on me and they'll help me get to class on time and remind me to go to the library. So relationships become much more instrumental in the growing up process. I love that. And and I think about, it's almost like you're crossing over a threshold from just sort of hanging out and thinking about the moment and just like it's about fun and whatever. 
And it's more about thinking about, you know, yeah, to me, it's like you're crossing over into accessing this huge body of experience and wisdom and and opportunities and networking that maybe was invisible to you or, you know, not even like necessarily on your radar as a younger person, but yeah, there's this huge network available to you. And it's almost like you, by accessing it, you're joining it now, like you're in yeah. it. It's very much about initiative. Yeah. Like I, it's not, the help I need isn't going to just show up on my doorstep. Yeah. But I, I now have to figure out, you know, kids who are are taking uh, psychiatric meds, you know, they have to form a relationship with a doctor at the school medical service. You know, they have to, they can't just count on uh mom and dad putting two pills by their orange juice class in the morning, you know, they, they have to become the initiator and the actor. And it's, you know, the point is it's a little bit scary to do that because you really don't quite know what you're doing yet. So, so that's crucially important retooling relationships. And then the, the third thing is forming a different relationship with the future. And we often can see this in high school seniors. If your kids go to a school where there's a, a fair amount of, fair percentage go off to college. So it becomes kind of a thing. And the school often will attend to it. There'll be guidance counselors that help with it. And some kids sort of, they just put up like, I'm not ready for that process. Uh, They don't want to talk about what they're going to do after high school. Other kids are very eager. They're eager to get in and talk to the counselor and write their essays and go visit college campuses. And so it's seeing that, that orientation toward a future that's sort of um, hopeful. I, I may not know what my future is going to be, but I'm kind of interested in finding out what it's going to be. I just, I had a very interesting conversation with a young man last week, 22 years old, and he's bounced around. He did, uh, I think one, maybe maybe two semesters and he was done with college. He just was not interested in classroom learning. And in the four years since, he's done part-time jobs here and there, took the occasional community college course, which he might pass or might not pass, but he's really just ping pong balled around his world. And what happened in the fall is he was offered a full-time job at a warehouse where they actually gave him a responsibility of managing one of the loading docks. So they unload trucks and then they load trucks. And and he was, it's not a terribly complex job, but it's a responsibility. And so he took that job full-time, working 40 hours a week, which in and of itself does a lot to make you feel like I may be a candidate for adulthood after mm-hmm. all, right? <laughs> well, the most interesting thing happened because his mom had expressed some, he's a very, very smart kid, but he's working in a warehouse, managing a loading dock. So mom was quite anxious about, about that. I would be too, probably, if it was my son or daughter. But what he says to me halfway through the conversation, is he tells me how the supervisor that manages all the loading docks is retiring in about a year. And he thinks that he, this 22-year-old, may be a candidate for that job. Mm. Right? So he's already thinking, he's starting to think not just, this is a job to get my parents off my back. He's thinking, this is a job that could take me somewhere. This is a job that could look good on a resume. And I could graduate from this. He said, I'd like to do this maybe two years, maybe three, and then see what else is available. Well, that's a way of thinking about the future that says, I've accepted that my future belongs to me. And you know what? I want to prepare for it, which is very different from 
I want to know what concert's happening this weekend and who wants to play video games tomorrow night, you know, which is not exactly the long-term future. So those are the three things that seem to be, if your kid is doing um, those things, they're beginning to take on administrative responsibility. They're learning how to use relationships with more initiative for support. And they're actually doing something. And it can be a job like this. It can be college. It can be being in the armed services. But, you know, those are those are all buses that are heading toward the future. You know, mm-hmm. you may not know your final destination, but, you know, you're going to get off that bus at a different place than you get on. Yeah, I love that. Th- that is so succinct, by the way. That's like really, mm-hmm. really a great way. And they all build on each other. Like they really flow nicely. And I'm just so curious. Do, do you think that just developmentally, we all kind of get there and accomplish all three of these eventually? Or do you feel like there has to be some intentionality? And I don't know, some experiences of support to get us there. Oh, in other words, are you saying, does it just happen? Yeah. Or do we need to set up? I think in a lot of cases, it just happens. Yeah. People evolve into more, you know, the relationships they form and in college are just maybe more mature, have more depth. Yeah. Romantic relationships are more than sometimes just dating, but you're thinking, maybe I could spend my life with this person. In other instances, I do think it involves intentionality. You know, the first one of administrative responsibilities has always been like that was a real struggle for me. And because I hate embarrassing myself in the world, not knowing what I'm doing. And that's just, you know, it's a sort of an untended neurotic flaw. <laughs> um, I was, <laughs> I had this interesting flashback experience a few years ago. I was teaching a course in adolescent therapy in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. And my wife is Slovenian, a Slovenian-American. But so we were there. It's a wonderful city. And at some point, I had to go into a bank to exchange dollars for euros or something. I forget exactly what. But I walked into the bank, and it didn't look anything like an American bank. There was no bank of tellers' windows. Just there were people at desks. And I immediately had this feeling of, like, this is what it was like when I was 20. I have no idea how to go about this very simple adult task. And I felt paralyzed. Now, I've learned, (laughs) I learned this mostly from my wife, whose practical IQ is about 20 points higher than mine. I've learned from her, (laughs) ask somebody, (laughs) ask somebody, where do I go to exchange dollars? And so I did, but I I had 20 seconds of of kind of... um, like a PTSD flashback. Mm. This is what it felt like to be, you know, really kind of dumb and not okay with it. I love that story because as you're telling it, I'm thinking about how helping my some of my children through their adult development, their early adult development, I have felt exactly that, like paralyzed in my own ineptness that I, I do not understand process or or what's happening and i haven't necessarily had the tools although i'm thinking of of one child in particular who took a really big hit in his late teens and ended up coming home for a time suffered with some real severe depression and we just it was a grueling process for us as parents and for him sure. And just one step at a time, somehow, organically, 
we were able to move him through those steps. And in fact, for him, I think the biggest moment for probably for all of us was when we all felt like he wasn't getting the growth he needed in our home. Jeff and I felt it and he felt it. And so we just sent him on to the next step. And that was where he began to have to face all of those things in his own timing and at his own pace and take accountability for his own life. And he has blossomed. Yeah. And all three of those are, he's, I mean, he's checking off all three of those and it's fascinating. Yeah. And so, yeah, like those things will happen if you're in the environment where you, you I mean, like, I think just not being under mom and dad's wing, yeah. the, like the world is going to ask you to do those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, Jody, I love the point you made. I'd never quite made that connection. The parents are going through a sort of parallel process mm. of, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I hadn't quite, that's, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, we really, well, and you referenced that earlier, that we don't necessarily have common tools that we understand can be used here. Mm -hmm. Right. That's so true. Yeah. How do you help parents? And a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast are parents of young people or even parents of 20-somethings that are, you know, or maybe even early 30s who maybe they worry haven't quite mastered these. Where can a parent help out with this? And so much of what I'm hearing is by not doing this for them, <laughs> right? Right. Well, it's so interesting. It's really about retooling the relationship because this is not what I'm not advocating tough love or you're on your own. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. No, I'm I as a parent remain very interested in your life and I'm I'm willing to call the dentist office and show you how that simple call is made right now I'm not going to just go make the call for you mm-hmm. which I think is it really creates a kind of dependence but I'm happy to tutor you through it there are a lot of you know if you are my 19 20 23 year old there are a lot of things I know about that you don't how do you look for a job? How do you prepare for a job interview? How do you create a resume? How do you inquire at a college about evening courses? How do you know there are a thousand things that maybe I've had some experience with, but I'm just going to let you know that I am this available resource. Yeah. Let me know if I can help you with that. And then I'm going to be your fan. I'm going to applaud you and I'm going to de-shame you. I'm going to say, well, you know, I didn't know how to do that either. Oh my God. I used to hate having to call a doctor's office and make an appointment. I know mm-hmm. it was kind of dumb, but I, I avoided it just like you do. So, you know, that's you can yeah. you can make your kid feel less inadequate by showing some of your own humanity. You can be available mm-hmm. as a guide, a resource, a tutor, and you can be encouraging, like, way to go. Good it's job. like an apprenticeship right. almost. It's like apprenticeship for adulthood. And mm-hmm. you're just, you're not <laughs> yeah. just kicking them out to learn it, but you're also not doing it for them. It's a, we're working side by side and eventually it won't make sense for us to be doing this together anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, the, the parents that I have encountered are the people, well, let me put it this way. I, I had a conversation with my wife where I told her I'd been, I've made contact with dozens and dozens and dozens of people who read my book and wanted to have a consultation. And I was telling my wife, I said, I can't believe how, how wonderful these people are. They're so thoughtful as parents. They're thinking along the right lines. I, there are really fun to engage with. And my wife who has this wonderful way. She says, Mark, first of all, 
these are the people that bought and read your book. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> these are the ones who liked it. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. There's a kind of a self-selection process I hadn't thought of. But, but the fact is, I have only encountered one set of parents who actually did the tough love routine. They had a, a 20-year-old who was rather profoundly abusive. He was like a really angry 14-year-old but abusive and the language and the insults to his parents. And they legally evicted him from their home. Wow. Now that's one out of maybe 50 or 60 yeah. groups of parents that I've talked to or in my career, hundreds of, of parents. And much to my dismay, they said that the relationship immediately improved, <laughs> <laughs> which I would have, I never would have predicted that. I thought, well, I bet he doesn't talk to you. no, he wants to know if he can come over for dinner on Sunday night. Wow. Um, but most of the parents that I work with really do, they are deeply heart connected to their kids. You know, they uh, even, you know, the parents who have fallen into enabling, they don't set out to enable their kid. No. They set out to support their kid. Yeah. Right. And the difference between enabling and support is it's not the act of what you offer. It's what the child does with what you offer. Right. You know, I, I sometimes use the pithy example. If if I'm going into the local supermarket and there's a, a mother with two small children and and she's got a sign that says, please help me buy groceries. And I give her a twenty dollar bill. And then when I'm shopping, I notice her over at the alcohol section of I, I realize, oh, my God, I've just enabled her. But on the other hand, if I see her over at the, you know, the infant formula section, I feel like I, I helped her out. I gave her support. Well, my behavior is the same, hmm. right? So parents who extend support for their kids and one kid takes that support and uses it as a springboard to, you know, they go to school and they actually go to class and they learn something. And the next kid takes that tuition money and, you know, <laughs> sets up a party house and hmm. just kind of has a, avoids the process of growing up. So the parents are almost always well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. Right. And they find themselves trapped. You know, I've got this kid. He's living at home. We feed him. We clothe him. And he sleeps until two or three in the afternoon. He's up playing video games until who knows when. He works about eight hours a week doing DoorDash or something similar. And I don't know what to do. I'm not willing to pack his bags and put him out on the street. And those those are the parents who I often find are really wrestling with the dilemma. They'll do anything you can coach them, they'll do anything to help. Yeah. I love that. It's mm -hmm. nice to like, you know, not shame them and act like they're rooting their kid. They're coming from a really, a really like loving, supportive place. They just need good information. I really agree with that. And yeah. there's a lot of shaming of parents that happens today. Yeah. You know, the helicopter parent, the snowplow parent, parents are too involved. It shows up in the news all the time. Parents who actually call their child's college professor to lobby for a higher grade. I mean, these are mm -hmm. absurdities. But the flip side of that is that this generation of young people have had more adult support than any generation. So if, for example, you're a learning disabled 14-year-old, in my day, you were going to be shamed about being lazy and careless. Today, they get you a 504 plan where you've got special services and more time maybe on your exams 
and uh, learning diagnostic evaluation. And the chances of you becoming a successful student are higher than they mm-hmm. were 40 years ago because of that support. Or if you're a, you're a dedicated soccer player, I have a, a granddaughter who's just a terrific soccer player, and she plays in two different leagues. She has lessons with a, a retired professional who has his own kind of private soccer clinic. She got invited to try out for the feeder program for, you know, the women's Olympic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now that degree of adult support mm-hmm. sometimes gets criticized as over-involvement. But really, we do have kids who are academically more prepared, often more confident. I, both of my kids, when they came out of high school, were way more confident than I was, so much more poise and a feeling of, I can do this. I can, right. I can have ambitions. I think today's athletes are much better prepared. So we can criticize it and say, well, there's too much adult involvement. In some cases, I think it's a valid criticism. But then we miss the bigger picture of, you know, today's generation of parents, by and large, have children because they desire them. They choose mm. and decide to have these children. I just showed up at my parents' doorstep. The stork brought me. I'm certain <laughs> that that's, you know, and my parents were kind enough to say, well, all right, Here one we go. more. We'll take it on. Right? But today's kids are, are desired. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have the welcome mat is all prepared for them. And so today's parents are correspondingly more committed to parenting and to maximizing opportunities. Yes, they can overdo it, but let's not forget the fact that there's an awful lot of good that comes out of that sense of responsibility for one's children. Well, and I love the encouragement that we can take that, that awareness and that involvement and fine tune it so that when we notice Mm -hmm. some that in our, in our gift giving, there are enabling behaviors, then we Mm -hmm. can just make a shift in, in how we do that so that the child can learn the important things about how to grow up. Right. And then what part of what makes parenting in the 20s, late teens and 20s more challenging is those same parents that so much want to do for their kids sometimes have to take a step back mm-hmm. and read. There's a story I love to tell, and it was in the book. I had this dad, actually, the, the real story, because I had to camouflage everything. The real story was this boy was living with his grandfather, and I knew the grandfather personally. And I had seen the boy in counseling when he was maybe 16 or 17, and now he was 19 or 20. And he was a good kid. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't smoking weed. But he wasn't that interested in really working very hard either. And the dad said, how do I get him to be more motivated to get more out, to get a real job? And I said, well, does he have any bills to pay? And he said, well, no, not really. And I said, well, you need bills to pay <laughs> right. to find that motivation. And then he said, oh, wait a minute. I bought him a used car and the payment is about 600 bucks a month. He's supposed to pay me half of that every month. And he said, I think I got it the first month and that was it. So mm-hmm. now it has been six or eight months since he, and he's in the dad's, the grandfather's in a dilemma. Do I take the car away? But then he'll never get a job if I take right. the car away. So just this classic, Mm -hmm. you know, between a rock and a hard place kind of thing. So we thought it over and I finally said, all right, I got a plan here. This was back when um, if you had a car payment, you had a coupon book. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. those days. Said, mm-hmm. What you're going to do is you're going to this next month, you're going to give him the coupon book and you're going to give him a check for three hundred dollars and say, here you go. Oh, right? nice. So it just shifted like, where is the worry about the car being repossessed? It was on grandfather's side. Yeah. He just shifted yeah. it over to the son's side or the grandson's side. And he told me, <laughs> this just made me laugh. The kid came to him at the end of the month and said, can I borrow $150? And what he did is he reached in and he pulled his pockets inside out, said, I'm sorry, I just I just don't have it. So he was warm. He was loving. He wasn't punitive. He wasn't demeaning or shaming. But he literally created a puzzle or a dilemma mm-hmm. that the grandson had to solve by changing his behavior. And that's really what the art of parenting someone in this age group is like. I do want to create dilemmas for you. Mm-hmm. Here's your cell phone bill. You know, here's, oh, by the way, your portion of the Wi-Fi is, you know, things now, well, how am I going to pay for this? And then the, the right answer is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? Look, if I can help in any way, let me know. I love mm-hmm. that. That's a very creative and sensible way to do this because I live with dilemmas every single day as a fully functioning adult. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Of and, what and I want you know to do. You've yeah. got to call on your resources. You've got to scratch your head. Uh-huh. You've got to talk to your wife right there and say, yep. what are we going to do about this? That's and right. That's, that's how we grow. That's right. Oh, I love I, that. I, I like to joke that anybody who knows how to change a tire, they didn't take the car manual, go out in the garage and say, I think I'm going to teach myself how to change the tire. Oh. No. They, right. they found themselves with a flat tire on the side of the road somewhere. And they figured and then that they out. got the manual out, and <laughs> figured out where the jack was. And they, you know, that's how we learn things, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my oh, goodness. That's beautiful. Well, I, lo- I love that you've taken what, you know, a lot of us just kind of did blindly and eventually figured out, like we talked about earlier, life will take you there. But to really have less anxiety as a parent for me, mm-hmm. to just trust the process and to guide and to set up these dilemmas and to really work in collaboration creatively together to help them transition and do this more successfully and then give them the time and space to do it and not get so wound up about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of the concepts that I, I like to use is that when you're raising your children, you really are a supervisor and sometimes you're a negotiator, but you know it falls on you to make it work. Once they hit this stage, you need to become more of a consultant. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, consultants are people that they know a lot, but they really don't have any power. Right. So yeah. so they do everything they can to be helpful, but it has to be at the initiative of the consultee. And that's really how the roles that's it's easier to say it than it is to do it. But that's yeah. that's kind of a, a guideline for what you're trying, how you're trying to reorganize the relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. Oh, yeah. I've learned a ton just as a parent and I I just love your work. And will you let our audience know how they can find you and, and what, you're, sure. what you've put out there? I, I have a rather simple website. It's my name. My name is Mark McConville and it's www.markmcconville, all one word, phd.com. Okay. Okay. And then you've written a book, Failure to Launch. I've written the book, Failure to Launch, which, which came out in um, just exactly two years ago, January of 20. Okay. I wrote an earlier book for therapists who work with teenagers, but that's I don't think that's of particular relevance for parents. I have links to some articles. I had an article in the New York Times on um, 
how do you know if your kid is ready for college? Okay. And um, an article in the Wall Street Journal that's really just sort of summarizing this idea that you think you're done with parenting. <laughs> you got another thing coming. Yeah. Well, we'll, um, we'll, yeah, we'll put links to all that in the show notes so people can just click right away and find those things. But we can't thank you enough. It's uh, your work is so important, and and your delivery and your your presence and just your your whole energy around this is just very validating and supportive for parents, including us. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I feel very very lucky to have been called to this kind of work. Right. Thank so. you so much. Mm, yes. Thank yeah. You, thank, thank you, guys. It's been a real pleasure to meet the two of you, and um, I hope I hear from some people in your audience. Oh, I'm sure you will. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Have a good day. All right, I will indeed. Okay, bye-bye. You can learn more about Dr. McConville on his website, which is markmcconvillephd.com. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can get right to it. And you can find his book there. And you can also find that on Amazon. But I want to thank you, Dr. McConville. Thank you so much for joining us. You're just so great, so easy to talk to. And the information you share really will change lives. It just will make it so much easier to just guide and help and support these young people. I've actually shared a lot of your information with my own three sons who are in that phase right now. And it's been really great. Some great discussions have come out of it and I just really love talking about these things. And you can also find great resources on my website and connect with me on social media. You can find me at fromcrisistoconnection.com. And I'm on social media under my name at Jeff Stewart, all the links from the show notes. And I've got past episodes of this podcast. I've got a weekly relationship column on my blog that you can read. And then, of course, I've got a lot of other digital resources, online courses, audio programs, things like that to help support you as you're healing and moving from crisis to connection. I want to thank all of you for listening every single week. Pass this along to someone else who might need it. There's a lot of people out there who are struggling and could use really great resources. And so if you know someone who's got a 20-something and they're trying to figure out what to do, pass along this episode and let them know that there are good resources out there that can help them in their journey. Thanks again, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. Mm